we've been setting up this, this heavyweight bout between punishment and restoration. And so two weeks ago, I introduced to you the current heavyweight champion of this world system. Now, I've chosen my words very carefully there, okay? This is the current heavyweight champion of the world system, and his name is Punishment. And most of us are pretty familiar with Punishment. We have received it, and unfortunately, we've given it out. Because it has been the the system of the day, we have grown up in this system to where that's how we treat people when they do things to us. We think that if we can punish them, we can somehow keep them from hurting us again. And that somehow a person who does something to us has to pay and punishment seems like the great way to do it. But today I want to introduce someone new to you. I want to introduce the challenger. So in this corner stands the challenger. To the world system. And this challenger's name is restoration. And the good thing, and I didn't even realize this until we were in prayer this morning, Kathy, is that many people are sitting in the corner of the ring just wondering if there's anybody that'll stand with them. And I want to tell you, if you ever felt like you were in the corner of the ring and the world was against you and you wondered if anyone was in your corner with you, I tell you that Jesus Christ is in your corner. I tell you that his restoration is for you. But here's the amazing thing. We all know the value of restoration when we have done something wrong. I don't have to tell you the value of restoration for your own personal life. But I think what I do have to remind us all is that if it is good for you, it is good for the one who hurt you. That's the tough one. Is that if it's good for you, Restoration ought to be good for the one that hurt you, too. Wow, this thing, see, this is not like the world. In fact, I've often said this. If you're a young believer and you do not know how to follow Christ and follow the Holy Spirit, just do the exact opposite of what most people are doing, and you'll probably get it right. What do I mean by that? If the world is running to something, you better run away. But if the world is running away from something, you probably ought to go see why. You ought to run to it. You want to know how the, to use money? Look at what the world is doing and do the exact opposite of that. Isn't it funny that the world loves punishment? And yet we run to it. And we even say that God is in it. And I'm just thinking, that our love for punishment is rooted in a system where sin overtook the world and broke it. And that God has not been the champion of punishment, but our broken state has. And I want to tell you that the world is running headlong toward punishment. It loves it. But if we're going to be followers of Christ, you ought to get as far from it as you possibly can. Now let's look at some scripture. Can we go to the scripture? I'm going to have you in two places today. You just have to go to two portions of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to Galatians chapter 6. So, that's right. It's not too hard. They're very close together. This should be no problem. 2 Corinthians. Did I say chapter 6? I meant chapter 5. Did I say? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
I'm going to begin in verse 18. Here's what it says. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Isn't that good? But you said, now, Kevin, that doesn't say a thing about restoration. Well, let's look at that word reconciliation for a minute. What does reconciliation mean other than the restoring of right relationship? So this is about restoration. It's the restoration of a relationship between us and God. And notice what it says, that God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself. What was God doing? Yes, he was reconciling. God is the reconciler. He is the one that's moving about, moving this restoration. Now notice what it says down. It says that we're ambassadors of Christ. It's though we were making an appeal through us. We beg you. What is the begging? What are they saying? Be reconciled to God. It's as though we were running up to everyone and we were going over to Miss Yvette and we were saying, Miss Yvette, you have got to be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with God. That's not exactly the message we give people sometimes, though. We make it sound as though we have to beg God in order to get reconciliation. I'm going to let you think on that. We, we make it sound like you have to beg God to get reconciliation. No, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You're the one that needs to get right. <laughs> We're the ones that need to turn toward him. He's turned toward us. On the cross, he died for us. He said, you know what? I am forgiving. I am giving my life to you. You know who needs to move now? We do. So we go up to people and we say, guess what? God loves you and God died for you. And I am begging that you would turn to him. Now, see, that's so much better than, you know what? If you don't turn, you're going to burn. The reason turning and burning doesn't work is because it's based in fear. And there is no fear in love. And perfect love casts out fear. And so it's a bad message. Now, it's, it's decent for getting people to make some kind of decision. Like if I just needed you to run down this aisle and fall on your knees, it'd be a good strategy because I could scare you to death and I'd get you to do that. But unless I can stay with you and continue to keep you in fear of hell's judgment, next Sunday I look around and go, I can't even find them to baptize me. Where'd they go? Because they didn't realize God is not mad at you. You need to be reconciled with him. You need to turn toward him. Now, that sets up Galatians chapter 6. Turn with me over there. Galatians 6 Beginning in verse 1, we're going to do a little teaching on this verse. Is that okay? This verse is just chock full with good things. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, comma, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Ooh, that's good. Let's look at that for a minute. It says, even if anyone, anyone, and I have a note in my Bible, and it has a one, and if I follow that one down into my margin, it normally gives me another English word, but this time it doesn't give me an English word, it gives me a Greek word. The Greek word is anthropos. And I'm like, why in the world does it give me this Greek word? Because here's what we tend to do. We tend to try to limit restoration to as few a people as possible. And so it's possible for us to read Galatians 6, verse 1, and say, well, this is clearly talking about the church. It's not talking about the world. So we only have to be responsible for restoring the church. Nah. That word is, even if anyone, that word is human. <laughs> if there is any human that is caught in a trespass, that word is used throughout. And it is not meant just the church. It is meant for the world. It says if there is any human, anyone that breathes, what do you do? If they are caught in any trespass, I love that. The New American Standard puts it that way. Any trespass. How many trespasses? Is there any trespass exempt in the word any? Do you then or I have the opportunity to look at a person and say, you know what, I could forgive a lot of things, but I can't forgive that one. Does that verse give you any leeway for that? You know why it doesn't give you any leeway for that? Because if it gives you any leeway, it is not the love that Jesus showed when he died for the sins of the world. Do you see that? He says, I can't give you any leeway in saying that, that there's a person that this is exempt or that there's a trespass that is exempt because if that was the case, that's not the love of Christ because he died when we were enemies. And he reconciled us to himself. And I see the verses are up there because y'all are looking at it. That's very good. Any trespasses, and it says then that we are to restore such a one. Oh, that's a good word. This word restore, it means to, to return, to replace, to put back. In Matthew, it says that the, the, the disciples were out mending their nets. That word mending means restore. It's the exact same Greek word. When it says to restore a person, it's the same thing as mending a net. And if you're sitting there going, why should I care about that? Do you realize that fishermen spent more time in the Bible days mending their nets than they did fishing? That was good. You need to think on that for just a minute and let that set in. They call them fishermen, but they spent most of their time mending nets. You know why? Because if, you, if your net is broke, you can't catch fish. Yeah. Do you know that you cannot operate in relationship with people when those relationships are broken? When, when, they're, when they're out of sorts. So we have to spend a great deal of time mending relationships. Why? Because nothing works right if we don't spend the time to mend our nets. Abraham Lincoln, he, was, he said, if I have six hours to cut down a tree, I'll spend four sharpening my axe. Why? You ever tried to cut a tree down with a dull axe? Oh, it is a painful, back-breaking thing. 
But if you spend a little bit of time sharpening that thing, it makes everything else go well. The process of restoration is critical to community. It makes everything work right. But when we refuse to sharpen our X, mend our net, restore our relationships, everything gets thrown off. In fact, that word restore also means to, uh, to restore a body part that has been dislocated. It's football season. Some of us love football. Some of us can't help but watch when a player's foot or ankle or shoulder gets dislocated. We're like, oh, show it again. Because you're like, I've never seen that kind of thing before. This word mend means to take something that is dislocated and put it back into its proper place. That's what happens when we sin against one another. We get dislocated. You cannot do something against someone else and it not offend them and dislocate, cause a disjoint of the relationship. And so restoring then puts that thing back in place. And so as a community, we're the ones that are supposed to do that. Now, here's the thing. As we restore people, it says do it in a spirit of what? Love and gentleness. Yeah. I'm so glad that he put that in there too. When you go to restore, do it in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because... We tend to like to call people out, don't we? You ever notice that? Somebody does something wrong, somebody's got to call them out. But do you realize that the Christian is called for something different? We are not called to call someone out. We are called to call them out of sin. There is a big difference in what I just said. There is a big difference in what I just said. The world will call a person out to expose their sin so that now everyone else can be a part of the punishment that's supposed to come next. But restoration doesn't call a person out it, to expose them. It calls the sin out of them so that they don't do it again. That's why no one should ever accuse a Christian of being light on sin because we're not excusing the sin. We're calling the person out of it. Which means that punishment and restoration stand on two very opposite corners. Two very opposite corners. I wrote a few things down. I think I shared this with you two weeks ago. I want to do it again, though. Punishment is backward looking. It means we just need to find out what you did in the past so that we can punish you for it. So it's, it's just looking back at what was done. All we need to know is did you or didn't you do it? And then we're off to the races, right? You just, all we need to know is if you did it or you didn't. Punishment condemns. Because if you did it, we're going to get you for it. We got something, we've got something lined up for you. Punishment controls. Why? Because punishment is based on someone who is afraid. And we like to control things that make us afraid. And if you make us afraid, we'll control you. So we need to put you somewhere where you can't hurt us. It's disempowering to the victim and the offender. How does that work? You ever noticed that as soon as we figure out if you did something or you didn't do something, even in a criminal justice system, particularly there, once we know you did something, we take all of your freedom away. And you no longer have any power. And there are a lot of people that say, well, that's good. They, they shouldn't. And, and I'd like to change your mind on that eventually. 
But you know what we also do? We disempower the victim. Because that's the last time anything good gets to happen to them. Because if you ever notice, when you go to court, if any of you have ever done something wrong, and I'm sure none of you have. But if you ever went to court, it wasn't you against the person that you offended. It's you against the state of South Carolina. It is, the, it is you against the, the government of the United States. And you're like, how in the world, when I stole that weed eater, did I steal it against the state of, the, of South Carolina? How did that happen? Because we have decided that your sin is against the state, and so we put the victims over here, and we put the offenders over here, and both people lose freedom. It's not a good system. Punishment leaves us feeling empty. At the end of the day, we sentence people, we put them off to prison, and I'm talking crime right now, but it applies to every other area of life. It leaves us feeling empty. Have you ever punished someone and felt really satisfied long term? <laughs> like, I know right away it felt pretty good. Okay, so you're like, yeah, it felt pretty doggone good. But it'll, it'll leave you hollow inside, won't it? If you're not careful, the more you punish people, the more hollow you get. The more you seem to lose your soul. Why is that? Because punishment always leaves people empty inside. You can put them away for life. You can kill them. You can do whatever you want to do. But you know what? It doesn't change what happens. And it leaves us empty. So we got to have a better way. Why do we do it? Because punishment's quick and it's easy and it does make us feel good temporarily. The easiest thing to do is go, you know what? We're just going to throw them away. We're going to put them in prison somewhere and we're going to forget about them. That's quick and easy. When I introduce the challenger to you today, restoration is not quick and easy. Can you hear me on that? I'm asking you to do a harder thing. Restoration will take far more work than punishment. That's why we like punishment. Because we're lazy. Because <laughs> we're lazy. And we just need something done to make us feel better. So what about restoration then? On the other hand of restoration... Restoration is forward-looking. Restoration says, I know what you did, but now I want to look at what you can do. I want to look at how, what was broken, and I want to see if we can fix it. And so it's, it's forward-looking. It heals. Restoration is a healing process. It frees people. It empowers people. But it's long, and it's slow, and it's painful. And it's messy. And it's why we don't like it. But I draw your attention back to Galatians chapter 6. And Paul says that we are to restore anyone caught in any trespass. And he says those of you who are spiritual are supposed to do it. <laughs> He's making fun of us there. You don't necessarily know it at first glance. But here's kind of how he's saying it. He does this a lot. Paul will use a word, and he's trying to, to get people's attention. He says, oh, yeah, by the way, you who are spiritual ought to be the ones in charge of this. What he's saying is if you call yourself spiritual. Now, listen good. <laughs> if you call yourself spiritual, if you think of yourself as mature, if you think of yourself as a, a good and a godly person, he says, oh, by the way, good and godly person, let me tell you what I need you to do. I need you to be the one to go and get them. 
And if you're unwilling to go and get them, then you're not as spiritually mature as you thought you were. That's sobering right there. That, that one is sobering. That Paul looks at us and he says, you think you're mature? You think you're spiritual? Well, if you are, then go and restore people who are caught in sin. A lot of times, Christians have taken on this posture that we're righteous and we're holy. And so, therefore, we're not to be anywhere near sin. You know, don't touch it. It'll make you dirty. Don't touch the leper. He'll make you dirty. What does Jesus do? Goes and touches the leper, makes them clean. Paul says, you want to be spiritual? Let me tell you how you get spiritual. By restoring those who are broken. So what, is, what are our tools? There are tools. We have everything we need for life and godliness. There, there are tools that the Bible has given us in order for us to restore people. And I want to go over some of those tools with you. One is this tool of love. You mentioned it, Miss Yvette. Love. I'm going to put three together. Love confrontation, and truth. I'm going to take that top line all together. Love, confrontation, and truth. When you restore someone, there is a confrontation. Let's just go on and say it. When it, There's a confrontation one way or another unless you just try to ignore it and act like it never happened, which is probably not good for you to ignore what people do and act like it doesn't happen because it makes you bitter and angry, and eventually it pops up. So there's a confrontation regardless, but restoration does it differently. Restoration starts with a confrontation that's done in love, and it's done in truth. So when I go to restore Chris, I go with love in my heart. And if I don't love him when I'm going, it's not time for me to go yet. Because you'll probably make more of a mess than there already was. So you have to evaluate your own self and say, now in my going because there's a lot of people who like to confront people. They're like, oh, I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you need to stop right there and check up and say, am I going in a spirit of love? And if you're not, don't go yet. Because you're going to make more of a mess. And when you go, go with truth. Which means you got to know this. Which is why Brantley's trying to get the word of God in us. Because we have to know the truth. Because the truth is what sets us free. Now, we can miss a few things. We can go and present the truth. I've done that. Mm. I was right. I had the word. I interpreted it correctly, but I didn't have love in my heart. It didn't work out. And then I've, I've gone in love, and I didn't really press the truth, and I tended to enable what they did, and they just did more of it. So we got to have both. And you have to know that this thing is a patient process because it doesn't always happen right away. Do, do you always repent right away? Do you always change right away? Some things have taken time, right? I bet you most everybody in this room is sitting here and there's something that you're working on today. That God has been dealing with you and he's been working with you your entire life. You don't have to say it out loud, but how old are you? How old are you? And yet God keeps being patient. Keeps showing mercy. Keeps holding off stuff from us to give us opportunity to repent. Begging us to change. He's patient with us. Why would we be patient with someone else? You got to forgive. 
Do you know the word in the Bible, forgive, it means to lift up and to bear? Which means that if this thing's going to work right, there are times you're going to have to bear the burden of a mess that someone else caused. There are times we look at messes, you go, look, you made the mess, you fix it. You did that, you fix it. And yet Jesus comes, and I see this posture of Jesus going, you know what, I'm going to bear up your sin. I'm going to nail him to the cross. And I'm going to condemn the sin there on the cross. And I'm going to forgive you so that you can go free. Can I tell you that this thing of forgiveness means that you will sometimes have to bear the burden of something that someone can't undo. They can't undo what they said. They can't undo what they did. They can't bring back what they stole from you. But the only thing left is forgiveness, which then makes room for repentance, which, by the way, is the message next week on how in the world do we truly repent. In fact, after next Sunday, I'm praying that we would be a people who are like going, ooh, 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 let me repent. I, I want to go next. Let, let, me, let me repent now. That we see it as this turning from our sins and turning to life. So, what does that look like? Y'all are smart people. I think you already know the answers. So help me out here. If someone steals something, what does restoration say has to happen? We forgive them. That's our part. Now they've got to repent. They've got to turn and they've got to make this thing right. So if you stole something, what do you do? Give it back. Notice how the criminal justice system really never gets to that often. It doesn't really get to that. But restoration does. Restoration says you stole it, give it back. You go, I can't. I pawned it. You say, oh, I didn't know he was going there. Well, then if you did that, what do you do? Pay it back. Replace it. That's right. And it also says this. You've been living a life of thievery and stealing. You know what Ephesians says? Get a job. That's what it says. It says get a job. Y'all don't even believe it's there. Hold on. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. That is the nearly inspired Kevin translation of get a job. Get a job. And perform with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. What does it say? If you have been thieving and stealing, you need to repent. We forgive you, but you got to change. You can't stay like you are. So you need to give it back, pay it back, and you need to get a job so that you can have more than enough, so that you can give it away to people who are in need. Oh, so what? So they won't have to steal. That was really good. That was community transformation. That never happens when all we want to do is punish a thief. Never happens. Here, let's do another one. See how good you are. I know you'll get it. If you broke it, fix it. That's what my grandma said. 
I come holding something, I like, I broke it. She was like, well, you got to fix it. But grandma would also say, now come here, bring it over here and let me help you. <laughs> we got we to gotta be more like grandmas. They say, you know what? You broke it, you got to fix it. But bring it over here, I'm going to help you. Here's another one. If you lied, if you lied, what do you do? Tell the truth. Make it right. If you said something wrong against somebody, set it straight. If you gossip, go stop it. If you did something wrong, make it right. Where does this apply? It applies to everything. It, it applies to, to marriage. It applies to jobs. It applies to ministry. You ever known when a minister gets caught in adultery, we throw them out of ministry and we never give them a place back? That's, that's how we do everybody. You know what I think we ought to do? We ought to go get that minister. And we ought to restore them. And we ought to make it possible where they can't hurt anyone else or take advantage of anyone else, but that they could live with this testimony that says this church redeemed me. They restored me. They brought my life back. And now I can stand and testify that when you commit adultery, your life does not end, that there is hope. Ooh. I heard the story of a Catholic priest who preached grace, which sometimes is missing in not only the Catholic church, but in many of our churches. But he preached grace. And one day he got pulled over for a DUI and he stood before the church and he said, church, I have to resign today because I broke your trust. I committed DUI. I was taken to jail. You need to know and I'm stepping down today. And a person from the, the I don't know what they would call that, the pews, he stood up and they said, priest, we don't want your resignation. We want your restoration. Oh, that gives me cold chills. Oh, to have a people that say, you know what? We don't need to punish you. Let us restore you. And it'll be a better story. You see that story of the priest who was restored? It is better than just throwing them out. The, the thief who gets a job and works and begins to give money to people who need it. It's a better story. Restoration is a, is a better story. You get your years back. Some of you are thinking, man, I spent so many years doing so much stupid stuff. I could never get that time back. But did you know that Joel chapter 2 verse 25 is a promise that said that God can even restore what the locusts eat? I have watched people come through Celebrate Recovery. And, and their lives have been destroyed. Their marriages have been restored. They're, they're destroyed. Their children are in off places. And they think, I can never get all this back. And I'm sitting here thinking, you just watch. <laughs> you, you just watch. Because <laughs> I've seen this enough that I know what God will do. And yet, I, I know it's coming. And He does it. And I'm like, whoo, I didn't even know you could do it that fast, God. Oh, you did it again. That God restores those things. Can, can I just remind, well, let me keep going for a minute. Some of you lost your dreams, but do you know that restoration can bring your dreams back? I've had people say, I was called to ministry and I didn't do it. And so I, I feel like I've lost that. And I'm like, I don't know if you've lost it or not. Why don't you start over? Why, why don't you start in that direction and, and see if God wouldn't have mercy and restore the the dream that you had way back. See if he wouldn't restore it. Mm. It, 
It brings back faith and trust. It, it brings back safety and security to the community. Pastor D's message last week was on Zacchaeus. That was good, wasn't it? Took about a page and a half of notes from that message. Zacchaeus is a story of restoration. Of someone who stole money and gave it back. And gave it back in abundance. <laughs> There's some other stories like that. I don't know if you know it or not, but the Bible is full of them. Because the Bible is the story of restoration. I've had people say, the Bible is not about you. I was like, you're exactly right. It's about God. It's also not about sin. It's about God. So sin does not win this story. God wins. That's why the people in this story do some really bad things. And God doesn't hide those things and go, oh, that's bad. I probably shouldn't talk about that because people might not want to come to me. No, tell me the bad. Tell me about Zacchaeus and show me how he got restored. Show me David and let me see that a man who is a king of a nation can commit adultery and murder and God can send a prophet to redeem him. Tell me that story. Tell me, tell me the story of Peter who looks Jesus in the eye and denies him. And Jesus comes when I'm sure he had better things to do and restored him by the river to make him the leader, the rock of God's church. Tell me about Saul, who couldn't keep the name Saul, but had to be renamed Paul because he was a murderer of Christians that rounded them up and executed them. But somebody named Ananias came to him and restored his vision and taught him the word of God. And somebody named Barnabas came to him and said, I'm going to take you to the church and I'm going to tell them that you're restored. Can you imagine Barnabas? Going, hey, Donnie, come on with me. I'm going to take you down to the church. I know that you've been killing and executing Christians, but I want to tell them that you're redeemed and restored, and we're going to let you preach this Sunday. What? I can't back up far enough that Barnabas would have the guts and the guile to say, I know this man, he's restored. He was Saul. One who executed Christians, now he is Paul, and he is writing letters to the church that we read today. That is the God of restoration. That is the God that we serve. And just one final point. We tend to think that we can forgive somebody, but I'm going to need you to stay away from me. You ever had that mindset? You're like, look, okay, I forgive you. But, but me and you, we don't need to have nothing to do with each other. I need you to stay over here. And I actually thought as a Christian that that was okay. That if I forgave somebody, that was enough. And I could not have anything to do with them. And that was perfectly legitimate. But then one day I looked at the cross. And what I saw there was a God who not only forgave me, but he said, I want a relationship with you. I want you to, to call my name. I want you to call out to me and I will hear you and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things. And I looked at it and I said, Jesus didn't die to forgive us and say, okay, now you dirty, rotten sinners, I need you all to keep to yourself because you're going to get me dirty. No, he said, I redeemed you. I restored you. I've reconciled because I want to hear your voice. And I want you to hear my voice. And I want to have a relationship with you. In fact, I've decided that I want to adopt you as my son. 
I got one last story before we close. Someone here at Ember sent me after the first message the story of a young man. He he shot a man at 19 years old and killed him. And he went to jail. And he spent 22 and a half years in prison. And at the end of 22 and a half years, he went on parole. So he was let out. He went on parole, but in parole, of course, you know, there are a lot of things when you're on a lifetime of parole, there's a lot of things you can't do. The family of the young man that was shot when the offender was 19 years old, they actually helped him get a pardon. They went to the pardon and cheered for him and said, we want him to get a pardon because if he gets a a pardon, then it'll restore his life back. Did y'all hear me? This was the family of the, the man that was murdered. They're going and pleading for a pardon for the murderer. And they stood in the courtroom and cheered when he got it. And he got online and he thanked them. And he said, I cannot believe that they stood for me and cheered the day that I received my pardon. He said, but now here's what I get to do. He said, because I get my life back, I can go and I can testify to what God has done. I can go and share my story. And he said, not only that, but I can go to this family and I can sit down and have a conversation with them about their son that I murdered. Do you know that people say the hardest thing that you have to do as a criminal is not go to jail and pay the time, but it is to face the one that you hurt. He was getting ready to have to do the hardest thing he had ever done in his life. He was going to sit down with the family of the man that he had killed. And they wanted that sit-down conversation. They wanted it. Why? Because they had forgiven him which made room for him to repent and turn. And now you say, but they will never get their son back. You're absolutely right. They won't ever get their son back. But maybe this man will go out and his story will keep another 19-year-old or 17-year-old from killing another person. So we may never know the work in the kingdom of one person forgiving another person and not looking at him and saying, but I can't get my son back, so you're not going to have your freedom back. What do they do? They pardon him and set him free that he might go out and speak to the world and say, don't do what I did. And not only that, they can have a face-to-face conversation when that family goes to heaven because they got to be Christian, right? I'm like, I don't know that family. they got to be Christian because only Christians would be that, that kind of people. I know there are others who forgive too. But that one day, those folks are going to get to heaven, and I think they're going to have two sons. They only had one before, but I think they're going to have two now. They're going to have the one that was murdered and the one they adopted. Only forgiveness. Only forgiveness can make room for repentance. Hear me say that. Only forgiveness can make room for repentance. Only forgiveness can make room for repentance. Only forgiveness can make room for repentance. So in closing, I have this one last thing. I looked up because the word restore means to do it again. In the English language, we have this prefix, R-E. It's in front of a lot of words. And so I pulled out a dictionary, and I wanted to just thumb through and see 
the words that start with R-E. And as I started to flip the pages of the dictionary, I thought, oh my goodness, this is all the things that God does when he restores someone. So I kind of made this up. I took the REs and I put them in the alphabetical order that I read them in the dictionary, and it was kind of cool what happened. So I want to share it with you. Let me read this. We can rebound because he will rebuild us, recover us, redeem us, refill us, refine us, reform us, refresh us, and regenerate us. To regroup, rejoice, and not relapse. Because he won't relent. We are relieved. And we remember that our sins are remitted, removed, and we are renewed, renovated, repaired. The debt was repaid. So we won't repeat, but we will repent causing some old things to be replaced, our souls to be replenished, so that we can represent Christ, who will reprimand, reprove, but also rescind and rescue without retribution, to return, reunite, revive, rewrite, because He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. You may have found something in there and you say, I need that. And that's the invitation today. Amy, will you come and sing that song, Communion? I think that's a perfect one. You may look at that and say, I, I need something. I, I need my, my sins removed. I'm carrying the shame. I, I need to let them go today. You may say, I, I need renovated. <laughs> my, my life is a mess. Then I want to tell you that This altar is available. If you're online, there is a connect card that will connect you with us. We're going to put that up in case you need some help being restored. We want to be there for you. If you're here today in the seats in front of you is a card that says connect that will help us connect to you so that we can restore you if any of those things are a longing of your heart. Would you say, I need to be renewed. I need some things in my life replaced. I need to return to God today. I've been gone too far, too long. I need to be reunited with the Holy Spirit. I I need to be revived. I'm just so doggone tired. (laughs) Is there anybody you just you just worn out? Can I tell you that the restoration of God will revive you? (laughs) If you've lost your joy, can I tell you that He'll make you to rejoice? Yeah. And so here's the thing. Not only do we need Christ to restore us, but we need to go as the hands and the feet of Christ. Because many times it is through our hands that someone receives the gift of restoration. So I say to you what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. If there is anyone who has committed any trespass, those of you who are spiritual, go and restore that in the spirit of gentleness. Why? Because we're to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Y'all stand up. Let's have a time to let the spirit move. Maybe you need to be restored or maybe you need to be commissioned today as a restorer. And you know exactly where you need to go. You know the exact person that you need to go to and be a restorer today. The altar's open.